today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Romans. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com And if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now. Let me invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and turn with us, because I know it's going to be a blessing to you. in the ninth chapter of the book of Romans tonight. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Romans chapter 9. We're going to pick it up in verse 21. Romans chapter 9, verse 21. Paul asked this question, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor, and another unto dishonor. Yes, God does have that ability. And some try to take this verse to prove the doctrine of predestination. In other words, God predestines some to be a vessel of honor, and they go to heaven, and some he predestines to be a vessel of dishonor, and therefore they go to hell. No, he did not. God does not predestine anyone to go to hell. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth. That don't sound like predestination to me. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Revelation 22, verse 17, the Bible says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Now, when God created man in the very beginning... The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, that he saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So God made man to be a vessel of honor, and he gave man the ability to choose, and man chose to be a vessel of dishonor. But today, because of what Jesus did for us at Calvary, Anybody, whosoever will, can accept Jesus Christ, which opens up the door for the Holy Spirit to come inside, and that vessel of dishonor can be made into a vessel of honor. Praise God. He can change anybody. He can change any vessel of dishonor and turn it into a vessel of honor. Paul asks another question, and he takes several verses here, verse 22 through 24. 
All of these is in one question, so let's read it as one question. We kind of broke it down last week and dealt with it verse by verse. This way I want to take a look at it uh, as a full question here. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had before prepared unto glory? Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Now, Paul is addressing the Jews here once again, and he's basically repeating what he said back up in verse 20 where he said, Old man, who are you to reply against God? In other words, who do you think you are to question God? If God chooses to treat the Jews and the Gentiles the same under the new covenant, that's his business. And who are we to, to question that? Now, whether it be a Jew or a Gentile, God will bless the vessels of honor with the riches of his glory. Doesn't matter. And the same goes with the vessels of dishonor. He's long-suffering. Doesn't matter if they're Jew or Gentile. God is long-suffering, which means he holds back his wrath. He holds back the judgment. But sooner or later, judgment will come. He is long-suffering. And if there was such a thing as predestination, why would God be long-suffering? You know, many times God is gracious and merciful and compassionate toward us and God knows what the final decision will be with a lot of people he knows that ultimately their final decision will be to reject God and he still gives them time to repent opportunity after opportunity is given nobody will be able to stand before God at the great white throne judgment and say I didn't have a chance because God is long-suffering all right, in the next few verses, Paul shows from the Old Testament that this was God's plan all the time for the Gentiles to receive salvation just like the Jews. Let's take a look at it. Uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 25. As he said in Hosea, now that's Hosea chapter 2, verse 23, I will call them my people talking about the Gentiles, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, this is Hosea chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, you are not my people, speaking of the Gentiles, there shall they be called the children of the living God. It simply means this. Because of what Jesus did for us at Calvary, any people, anywhere, at any time since the cross can now be saved by simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was in the Old Testament. This was God's plan. Matter of fact, way back before the foundation of the world, when God called Abraham and told him to come out from among his kindred and separate himself. He said, your seed is going to bless the families 
of, of the earth. And so that included everybody. But for a period of some 1,600 years, uh, the Lord gave the light to the Jews. And the Jews had the responsibility of spreading that light to the Gentiles. Now, they failed miserably in that. At any rate, that was God's plan all the time for everybody to be saved. Let's take a look at verse 27. Paul pulls from Isaiah. He said, verse 27, Isaiah also cried concerning Israel, and now he's going to uh, come from Isaiah chapter 10, verse 22. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Now, I want you to think about that for just a minute. Down through the many centuries, there have been many Jews, numbering as the sand of the sea. That's what God promised Abraham way back in the beginning. But only a tiny few of those Jews were really saved. And sadly, the same can be said of the church today. I heard just the other day that the earth's population right now is over 7 billion people on the planet. 7 billion people on planet earth. 2 billion claim to be Christian. I wish that were the case. Because 1 billion of the 2 billion are Catholics. And when you look at Catholic doctrine, the false doctrine that they proclaim, they proclaim salvation by works, precious few in Catholicism are actually saved. Precious few. When you look at Protestants, one billion Protestants in Christianity, many of them no longer believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Precious few preachers are preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ anymore. Most of what is preached now are psychological messages in nature. They appeal to the carnal ear. They make people feel good, whatever the case. And the cross is hardly ever mentioned. If it is, it's a historical thing. It's mentioned maybe on Easter. Um, sadly, the cross of Christ is just window dressing to look religious, to draw in religious people. And that's, that's about all the cross is today with much of the church. But this time was prophesied that the church of the last days, the church at Laodicea, would be lukewarm. Lukewarm toward God. Lukewarm toward salvation. Lukewarm toward Christ's finished work at Calvary. God really only knows the, the number that's saved. When you get down to it. And sadly, it's precious few that are. Only a remnant. Dana, if you will, go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Uh, move down to verse 13. I want to show you something here that Jesus said. Quite a number of verses I want to look at here in this chapter. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. 
Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Look at that. Few there be that find it. He goes on to warn in verse 15, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. The fruit of one that is preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ is changed lives. Let me say that again. If the preacher is preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the fruit is going to be changed lives. And if you don't see changed lives, then chances are he's not preaching the true gospel. Jesus went on to say in verse 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. We need to look at that very closely. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now what is the will of the Father? Let's look at that for a minute. What is the will of the Father? When Jesus was in the temple at 12 years of age, Mary and Joseph took off, go back home, and they gathered at a certain place, and Jesus wasn't there, and so they spent the next three days looking for him, and somebody said, well, won't you go check the temple? Well, what in the world would a 12-year-old boy be doing in the temple? And so they went just to see if he was there, and lo and behold, he was sitting in the midst of the doctors asking them questions, and they were asking him questions, and they were just astonished at his wisdom and, and knowledge of the Word of God. And Mary asked the Lord, and he was 12 years old, why, why have you done this to us? You know, we, we've been worried to death about you. Me and your father have been worried about you. And Jesus just said to her and just kind of reminded her, Joseph is not my father. I must be about my father's business. Talking about God. I must be about the father's business. And Christ, his whole life, was about doing the will of God, the Father's business. And that was the first recorded word that we have of Christ. I must be about the Father's business. Before he died, he said, it is finished. In essence, saying, I have finished the Father's business. He finished the Father's will. Now look back at what Jesus said here. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. God's will for us is to take up the cross, deny ourselves, 
take up the cross daily and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Which if we'll do that, the Holy Spirit will work in our lives. And then if we'll yield to the moving of the Spirit, the sanctification process will be affected in our lives. But Jesus went on to say there, verse 22, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. There are people out here doing a lot of works in the name of Jesus, but their relationship with Christ is not as it ought to be. Let me say that again. You got people out here doing a lot of good works, but that relationship with Christ is not there. That should be on the top of any work that we do for God is establishing that relationship with the Lord. Talk to Him on a daily basis. Open up God's Word and let the Lord speak to you through His Word. And Jesus said, I will say unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Then he went on to say, verse 24, Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and doeth them, will I liken unto a wise man which built his house on the rock. That rock is who Jesus is and what he did at the cross. That foundation is the foundation of the church. It should be our foundation as well. Jesus went on to say, verse 25, he said, the rain descended and the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded on the rock. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So, as we stated, only a remnant shall be saved. Few there be which find eternal life. And like I said, the will of the Father is to deny self, take up the cross daily, and follow Christ. Let's go back, Dana, if you will, Romans chapter 9, verse 27 again. We'll get a good running start. Romans 9, verse 27. Isaiah also cried concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved, for he will finish the work. Mm. He will finish the work. At the time that Isaiah uttered these words to people of that day, although it was only a remnant, they looked forward to the time when the Messiah would come and redeem mankind. And right before Jesus died on Calvary, as I stated a few moments ago, he cried, it is finished. Thus, we say that his work is a finished work. In other words, there's nothing out here hanging for us to do in order to be saved. Christ did it all, and all is, that is required is our faith. 
And if our faith is right, the Holy Spirit can work. Now our job is just to simply to follow after the Spirit, which He will lead you to quit doing certain things. And He'll empower you to quit doing those things in whatever the case. But salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast. For He will finish the work, And cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. Now, Jesus lived to be 33 and a half years old. But his actual ministry was a short work. It lasted only three and a half years. His death on Calvary ended his short human life of righteousness but it provided an eternity of righteousness for all who will believe. Let me say that again. His death on Calvary ended his short human life of righteousness, but it provided an eternity of righteousness for all who will believe. Verse 29. And as Isaiah said before, this is Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9, except the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. Paul, using what Isaiah said, is actually saying this, that the sins of Israel in rejecting Christ was just as bad, if not worse, than the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. I want you to think about that. Now, the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah were so bad that God sent fire down and destroyed those two cities. But the sin of Israel was worse. They crucified their Messiah. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 23, Dana, if you will go over there right quick. Matthew chapter 11, verse 23. Jesus said, And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven. Capernaum was exalted unto heaven because the King of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, had made that his headquarters during his ministry. He said, Thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, thou shalt be brought down to hell, for if the mighty works which have been done in thee... Now that speaks of the mighty works that Jesus did in full public view for everybody to see. He said, if this had been done in Sodom, then it would have remained until this day. In other words, the people of Sodom, had they seen all those miracles that Jesus did, they would have repented. He went on to say, but I say unto you, that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. All right, go back over to Romans chapter 9, verse 30. Romans 9, verse 30. What shall we say then that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? The Gentiles, they were pagans. They made no pretense at all of living for God. And you can look over their history and see that. But now they have obtained righteousness 
by the faith of Jesus Christ. And now he says in verse 31, But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. For 1,600 years, Israel tried to keep the law of God through their own religious ceremonies and machinations and whatever the case, and they failed simply because they rejected Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. They knew the Word of God, and yet when the living Word stood right in front of them, they rejected Him. Verse 32, Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Now Israel had faith, but it was faith in themselves. It was faith in their performance to keep the works of the law. And actually they made the law salvation. And God never intended for the law to be salvation. He intended for the law to show man just how bad off he really was. But at any rate, I, I wonder how many in the church today are trying to obtain salvation by the works of the law. In other words, my good deeds outweigh my bad. I wonder how many in the church have accepted Christ, but they're trying to sanctify themselves by the doing of this and the doing of that. They're falling into the same trap that Israel did. Matter of fact, Paul warned us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. He said, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Let me read that again. He said, Are you so foolish? Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Your own ability, strength, talent, trying to do this, trying to do that to sanctify yourself and trying to live for God on a daily basis. The only way to do it is through and by the Holy Spirit, letting Him have His way. Okay, Romans 9, verse 33. Romans 9, 33. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a, sum, a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Israel had a totally different idea as to what the Messiah would do. They thought that the Messiah would be a powerful leader and that the Messiah would break the yoke of Rome. They were looking for a mighty man like David. And yet when this carpenter came on the scene... All they had to do was go back and trace his lineage. And they could have seen where it lined up perfectly. They could have looked at the miracles. And he told them point blank, I am the Messiah. 
and they rejected him. They didn't want a carpenter who died on the cross. They said, let his blood be on us and on our children. And the Jewish people have suffered from then until now because they stumbled at the stumbling stone. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.